What is going on, everybody? This is Jared Woodcox, host of the Three Point Threat Podcast, here with episode 31 of the show. Um, Jazz of advance, guys. For the second year in a row, we see the Utah Jazz going to the second round of the playoffs. I'm glad that last week, you know, I think I might have jinxed them a little bit in Game 5, but luckily they were still able to come through and advance to the second round. Um, obviously, Game 6 was was pretty scary, I think we'd all agree, but here we are, and, and also with one game under our belts in the second round. So, for the show today, I want to backtrack a little bit, and for point one, uh, I want to give my quick thoughts on each first-round series, just kind of my overall summary of each one, and what I think we should expect from there for the second round. Uh, for point two, want to really dive into the Utah Jazz's performance in Game One against the Houston Rockets. Obviously, uh, I don't want to say that the outcome was unexpected, um, but definitely not what we would have preferred. Uh, so, want to jump a little bit into that one. Then, last of all, for point number three, want to talk about the rest of the Jazz Rockets series, what we should expect moving forward, what kind of adjustments we should see, and what expectations we should have um, for this series. Hopefully, we get Ricky Rubio back soon. That's going to change a lot of things. Um, but that's all that I'll be diving into today on the show. So, let's go ahead and get started with point number one. Point one. So overall, I'd say this was a pretty exciting first round. I think there were a lot of series that were really entertaining and, re- and really fun to watch. I um, want to go through each one and really just give my quick thoughts, my quick synopsis of, of the series and what surprised me, you know, what interested me and all that. Uh, beginning in the West, you know, looking at Rockets-Wolves, I'd say this one went about as I expected. I actually thought the Rockets would sweep. They ended up giving up one game to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, good for them to finally kind of break their their long playoff winning drought. Um, but obviously, you know, I think that all went about as we expected. We knew the Wolves were not going to be able to match up against the Houston Rockets. You know, the Rockets dominated the series even though they didn't shoot that great. Uh, just 34.6% from deep. Even in a bad game from James Harden, that Rockets team was just way too much. And we all saw the Wolves could not keep up. Honestly, as Jazz fans found out in Game 1, the Rockets are going to be tough for anybody to beat. And just the fact that the Timberwolves have a a lackluster defense, um, obviously their second unit is not much to write home about. Uh, It was pretty obvious why they were manhandled so easily by the Rockets. Uh, Warrior Spurs, again, that's one that went about as I expected. Honestly, though, I loved the fight from the Spurs. There were so many times when they could have just, you know, given up and said, hey, it's over, and why are we even doing this? There's no reason to keep trying. I just loved the fight from them. I loved some of those big Manu Ginobili moments, how he threw back the clock there. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge obviously was amazing, uh, even though it wasn't quite enough. And it's just so disappointing because I wish we could have seen Kawhi Leonard do battle against these Warriors. You know, you have Kawhi Leonard there and, and no Steph Curry. This could have been a totally different series. Obviously, that's one of the strangest dynamics in the league right now. It's going to be weird to see how the Spurs end up settling that. Um, I honestly, guys, I'm going to go on a limb. I think Kawhi is not going to be with the Spurs next year. Um, I could be completely off on that, but it just feels like things have gotten too sour. The fact that he wasn't even on the bench during any of their playoff games is such a red flag to me, and it's so interesting that I just have a feeling we're not going to see Kawhi Leonard back with the Spurs uh, next year. Uh, Blazers-Pelicans, unfortunately, this was probably the most boring series um, of the playoffs because, I mean, obviously it was a a 4-0 sweep. Um, I thought the Blazers would win this series um, going into it, though I thought it would be competitive. I really did believe the Pelicans had a shot to... uh, 
surprise them and beat them. Well, they certainly surprised them, uh, but in big fashion, obviously going up 4-0 and really just tearing the Blazers apart, if we're honest with ourselves. You know, Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday were both fantastic. Um, Drew Holiday's kind of been unheralded for much of his career, and I thought that he really busted out and had an awesome series against Portland. Obviously, though, as we saw in Game 1 between the Pelicans and the Warriors, the Pelicans really are going to have their hands full. They're not, they're not playing the Portland Trailblazers anymore, and no disrespect to Portland. Um, but I really thought that in a lot of ways their game plan and their effort was just not there. You know, obviously the Portland Trailblazers beat the Jazz in the last game of the regular season. Um, before that, they'd been slumping. And I think that the Blazers, you know, just kind of got into the playoffs at a bad time. The Pelicans were on the upswing while the Blazers were on the downswing and just completely outplayed them. So, interesting to see what the Pelicans can do now. Like I said, it was a thrill watching Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, um, but kind of a disappointing showing from the Blazers. I think that goes without saying. Uh, Jazz Thunder, obviously, um, you know, I had picked the Thunder to win before the series. You guys know how I am as far as uh, being paranoid about jinxing my team. Uh, obviously, I'm very glad that I was wrong. You know, I think that the things that we saw as strengths for the Jazz really stuck out. Um, while the things that were weaknesses for the Jazz, they were able to really mitigate those and really lessen those. Um, you know, I think obviously they won the coaching battle, which was huge. Um, you know, you had Donovan Mitchell that was just superb. Um, Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors did a good job holding, you know, Stephen Adams in check. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, you know, the Jazz were able to use his weaknesses to really be a, a boost and a strength to them. So it, it was awesome. You know, I will say, though, that um, Game 6 was pretty terrifying. You know, there was, a, there was a lot of opportunities there for the Thunder to take a hold of that game. Obviously, we didn't have Ricky Rubio. The fact that the Jazz were able to tie that after a terrible first half was just, you know, a miracle in and of itself. And then Donovan Mitchell obviously took over in the second half. But, you know, if, if our defense hadn't held in that first half, if we hadn't been able to find a way to win that game, if the Thunder hadn't missed all those opportunities they had to tie it late in the game, you know, it very well could have gone to Game 7. I don't know what would have happened, especially with Ricky Rubio now sidelined. Um, obviously, I'm glad it didn't come to that. But, man, what a series and what kind of a, a scary last game that we, we were able to squeak by. Moving over to the East, uh, Raptors-Wizards. You know, a lot of people were really high on the Raptors and expected them to just crush the Wizards that have been inconsistent. I actually predicted the Wizards to put up a fight. This is a series I actually was spot on that I had picked the Raptors in six. Um, you know, as I mentioned um, a couple weeks ago, the Wizards had never played the Raptors in the regular season with John Wall. So obviously having him back um, was, was a boost to them. Uh, but the Wizards, you know, at the end of the day, between execution and just poor chemistry, I think we all see it, we all know it, it's not really a secret, even based on, you know, John Wall's um, exit interview, um, the Wizards have some work to do if they want to put together, you know, a core of players that's going to work well together and it's going to be an actual threat in the East. Um, the Raptors, you know, I feel like they, they were able to take care of business in Game 6, which was good for them. But I think they still have some playoff demons to get off their backs. And right away, they're going to go up against their kryptonite in LeBron James, uh, who's coming off a tough series himself. Um, but it's it's still going to be hard for the Raptors to be able to bounce back and, and win um, a series against LeBron James. I really think that's going to be a tough one. Uh, next, Celtics-Bucks. Um, honestly, this was kind of a weird series, I thought. You know, the home team won each and every game. It really was a chess match between the two coaches in a lot of ways, and the wiser the two prevailed. I think we all knew going into it that Brad Stevens had the edge um, over Joe Prunty in the coaching department. Honestly, guys, I really do think the Bucks. Um, are a more talented team than this version of the Celtics, you know, without Kyrie Irving, uh, without Marcus Smart for most of the series, without obviously Gordon Hayward. Um, but just they, they don't play to their strengths. They play a lot of iso ball. I don't think they have, you know, that that much chemistry. Um, it just feels like, you know, with Antetokounmpo and Middleton and, and even Jabari Parker, that if these guys are all playing to their strengths and if they could have some cohesion, that they would be a dang good team and that they could have beat this um, injured version of the Boston Celtics. However, when it all came down to it, they couldn't overcome the chemistry and the togetherness or the coaching of the Boston Celtics. And we saw what happened there in Game 7. Uh, Sixers Heat. 
Honestly, the Sixers are still on a tear. They look great. I would not be one bit surprised to see them in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, as much as, you know, I know Jazz fans are a little sour towards the Sixers because of all the Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell debate going on. The Sixers look really, really good. Um, obviously, the Heat, you know, I think we all kind of had a hunch that they wouldn't be able to keep up with the, with the Sixers. Uh, minus the one game where Dwayne Wade turned back the clock. They really didn't offer much or really, really didn't put up much of a fight there. And it's really not that surprising. I mean, they just don't have the personnel to match up with, with some of the guys that the Sixers have. Obviously, Whiteside is frustrated with his role. He was kind of a non-factor in the series and, and was dealing with limited playing time and issues there. So it'll be interesting to see what the Heat do moving forward. And I think the Sixers honestly have a really good shot to move all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, last one, the Cavs Pacers. Uh, those of you guys who have tuned into my show before know that I am quite fond of the Pacers. You know, after the Jazz, they are my favorite team. Uh, so this one pretty much it made me pretty sad um, in some aspects is in that I feel like the Pacers really outplayed the Cavs. And in a lot of those games, it was more the Pacers lost rather than it was the Cavaliers won. You know, they had a few games where just the turnovers mounted up. Um, you know, the two really bad games that Oladipo had, if you take those shooting performances he had and even give him an average game, you know, the, the Pacers probably win that series. Um, they had a really good shot to, you know, a few things go their way. They might have won in five or six games. Unfortunately, they, they had it come down to a game seven. And, you know, a game seven against LeBron is just not a recipe for success. He had a phenomenal game. Even then, they kept it close. Um, and so it was just it was just hard to see them go down that way after such a surprising and fun season um, and such an incredible postseason run. The good thing, though, that, that you know, they keep harping on and, and you know, is just so true is that no one even expected them to make the playoffs this year. No one expected them to win, you know, 40 games. Um, nobody really thought they would even make any noise in the playoffs once they once they were matched up against LeBron James and the Cavs in the first round. But instead, they pushed into the limit seven game series, and it was an incredible one. I think the future is very bright for them. They have young talent that can still develop. They have a lot of cap space. Um, that could be a team in the East that's going to be fun to watch in the upcoming years. You know, I could see you know some Pacers, Sixers, Cavs, depending if LeBron stays. Celtics. We could finally have some fun, um, exciting battles in the Eastern Conference in the not so distant future. Real quick, you know, my predictions for the second round. Um, I do think that the uh, Warriors are going to be able to beat the Pelicans. I was hoping the Pelicans could make it competitive. I had picked the Warriors in six. Um, if, if game one repeats itself, though, we know it's not going to really turn out that way. Um, be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, also, I know that Jazz fans aren't going to like this, but again, I don't like to jinx my team. And, and I think we all know how, how deadly Houston can be. I have Houston winning in five. Um, especially with Ricky Rubio missing an undetermined amount of time. I just am a little worried about Utah's chances. We saw how much their offense kind of sputtered at times in game one. And I just worry they're not going to have the firepower to keep up with the Rockets. Um, I'll talk more about my prediction on that series, obviously, so I don't want to get into it too much here. And then in the East, um, you know, I think that Sixers Celtics is going to be a really exciting series. Obviously, you know, Brad Stevens and the Celtics, all the injuries, they may feel a little bit outmatched, especially with how well the, the Sixers have played. But I'm interested to see what Brad Stevens cooks up as far as shutting down Embiid, as far as shutting down Simmons, as far as stopping all the shooters the Sixers have. I do think the Sixers will end up winning that series just because the Celtics are so banged up and the Sixers are extremely hot right now. They're playing extremely well. But I think the Celtics are going to drag it out to six games. I really think that one will be Sixers in six. Last of all, um, Cavs-Raptors. And honestly, this is one where I, I feel like it could go either way. Um, you know, obviously the Raptors have had their troubles with the Cavs in the past. That, that's no secret whatsoever. 
um, but the Cavs also looked pretty vulnerable against the Pacers. Like I said, I really feel like the Cavs didn't win that series against the Pacers per se, more the Pacers lost it with some kind of silly mistakes throughout certain games. And if the Raptors can clean up the mistakes and if they can take advantage of a lackluster supporting cast around LeBron James and really slow him down, they have two stars in Lowry and DeRozan that if those two can both step up, I could see the Raptors finding a way to win this series. Um, that said, I think LeBron James has the Raptors number. I don't think he's scared of them at all. Obviously, he's taken them out several times, um, did well against them in the regular season for the most part. I am going to pick the Cavs to win this one in seven. I think LeBron's going to be challenged again. It'll be another seven-game series, but ultimately, I think he will prevail. So those are my thoughts on the first round, and with everything, looking forward to second round. Let's move on now to point number two. Point two. All right, for point number two, I just want to dive in a little bit to game one against the Houston Rockets. Um, you know, obviously it didn't turn out the way the Jazz fans may have wanted. Although I have to say, you know, with no Ricky Rubio and in a game one against a new team um, that took place mere days after an emotional game six, the outcome really wasn't that surprising at all. I mean, honestly, look at the turnaround the Jazz had to go from that game six against the Thunder to right away um, getting ready to take on the Rockets, and it was pretty short. Um, we all knew Houston was is a phenomenal team, and that they're going to be a tough out regardless. And in game one, they really shot the lights out. I mean, they were 45.1% from the field, 53.1% uh, from deep. And really, that kind of efficiency is uncharacteristic for the Rockets. Um, they take a ton of threes. They're, they're really volume shooters from three. Um, but they're not necessarily even close to that efficient. Like I said earlier in the series against the Timberwolves, they're right around 34% from deep. Um, of course, James Harden went off for 41 uh, the Rockets, you know, they, they really killed the Jazz in the pick and roll. I thought that was a big problem all night. Uh, too often the Jazz would overcover on the ball handler or double the ball handler, leaving the roll man wide open or someone open for a pick and pop. Um, because of that, you know, Capella had a big night. He had 16 key points. And I know that 16 is not a ton, especially when in comparison to uh, Harden's 41. But I felt like there were so many times when Capella would just get this soul-crushing basket that would stop the Jazz's momentum. And th they got to find a way to cover that pick and roll a lot better. On that same note, you know, in the pick and roll, there were a lot of times where, you know, maybe they'd contain the roll man, but then you'd have Chris Paul or you'd have James Harden hitting a, hitting a wide open shot after that. So just a lot of things that were troubling on defense. Yes, the Rockets were hot, um, but the Jazz also have some things they need to clean up. But then again, as I just said, you know, the Rockets hit a lot of really hard shots, a lot of contested threes that, that they put in. You know, sometimes when Harden and even to some extent Chris Paul are just hitting some of those three pointers that, you know, you're covering them on, that there's not much you can do. And as I said, you know, the, the Rockets were well above their average, and in a lot of ways that bodes well for the Jazz. If they can clean up things in the pick and roll, get better on defense, and most of all, find some offensive firepower, I think they could really start competing with this, this Rockets team. And on that vein, you know, I thought the Jazz defense wasn't nearly as troubling as their offense. Um, you know, they ended up going 50% from the field, which, which is actually a pretty dang good mark, as we know. Um, but we're only 31.8% from three, which just isn't going to work against the Houston Rockets. Um, we had a brutal 18 turnovers. That was just so hard to see all of the careless mistakes that really cost the Jazz. Really nobody but Donovan Mitchell got going. Um, and even he had a far from efficient night, only 40% from the field, 107 from three. I know that Crowder shot well, and honestly, he was one of the better players the Jazz had on offense, but I'm still struggling a little bit with some of his decision-making. Um, you know, sometimes the shots he's taking aren't, aren't the greatest, and when they go in, like a lot of them did um, in game one, that's great, but I still think Crowder needs to play more to his strengths. We need him to be smarter on offense, and we need him to try to get to the rim more and really assert his will better on, on um, defense as well. Um, but he did look a lot better than he did in the Oklahoma City series, so I really feel like he can get it going and, and make a big impact in this series against the Rockets. One of the things I wanted to touch on in this series is that with Ricky Rubio out, you know, a lot of people are saying 10 days, let's just say for the foreseeable future, Quinn Snyder has a really tough decision to make. Uh, does he ride Alec Burks or does he ride Dante Exum um, in, in those minutes that, that we need to have 
to kind of fill the void left by Ricky Rubio. Honestly, both Burks and Exum are so out of control. I know Burks had a great game in game six against Oklahoma City Thunder. He really was kind of the unsung hero of that game. Uh, but I also feel like it, it kind of got to his head a little bit. And we saw a lot of the old Burks come out in that game against the Rockets. You know, he just, he so frequently falls into these trends where he's constantly dribbling. He's chucking up ill-advised shots. Um, he's not in control. He's not playing within the system. And it's really hard for Quinn Snyder to trust him. That's why Burks fell out of the rotation in the first place. Um, in game one, you know, Dante Exum went three for five for nine points which was a decent showing if you just look at that, but he also had three turnovers. And really, Exum's biggest problem is he just can't take care of the ball. You know, not only just the turnovers, but he just isn't a wise decision maker. Um, he's not good at running the offense, to be quite honest with you. And really, what I think Quinn should do, and I know that it was a very small sample size in game six, uh, but Howell Neto was a team high plus eight in his limited minutes. And he has just been, you know, he's not going to be a spectacular player. He's not going to, you know, go out there and score all these points and kill the other team on defense. But he's steady. I feel like he's just so much more reliable than both Burks and Exum. Um, you know, his size isn't as much of a problem against Chris Paul as it would have been against Russell Westbrook. I honestly think that we're going to see more of Neto in this series, um, especially with Rubio being out, just because Burks and Exum have both proven to be so undependable. Neto, like I said, is far from, you know, the fix-all. It's not like he's going to come in and just burn the world down with his amazing play and save the Jazz from Ricky Rubio's absence. But I just think he's going to be a lot better stopgap than Burks or Exum. I think we all saw that in Game 1 against the Rockets where neither Burks or Exum was really in control, neither one of them was very dependable, and it really hurt the Jazz in those reserve minutes. Um, with that all being said, you know, the good thing now is the Jazz have all of uh, Monday and all of Tuesday to get ready for the game on Wednesday against the Rockets. So I think they're going to make some big adjustments. I think we'll see a lot better pick-and-roll coverage. I think they'll find ways to get guys more involved on offense, um, especially Joe Ingles needs to get a lot more involved, well, needs to be a little bit more trigger-happy, I think. Um, and also the Rockets are going to come back down to earth from shooting. There's no way they keep shooting over 50% from three throughout the series. So a lot of things to like about the Jazz moving forward. Don't forget they lost game one last series, too. Obviously, the, the Rockets are a better team than the Thunder, but the Jazz lost game one in that series and were able to bounce back extremely well. I think we could very well see something very similar to that. So don't lose hope, Jazz fans, after one kind of disappointing game. Um, I think we'll see some good adjustments ahead and some good things that will swing in Utah's favor. Uh, that's a perfect segue now into point number three. I'll give my thoughts and predictions for the upcoming week of games. Point three. All right, so for the third and final point, I'll give kind of a look ahead for games two through four. Um, the Jazz will play, you know, pretty consecutively now because they'll play Wednesday um, for game two in Houston. Uh, and then Friday is game three in Salt Lake. And then Sunday is game four, also in Salt Lake City. Um, so all those games will be before the next show. And honestly, you know, let, let's hope the season goes beyond those three games. I really do think the Jazz will adjust. They've, they've played so well at home in the postseason, so I think that we'll see that. Um, but obviously, they, they have their work cut out for them. The Rockets are an exceptional game. Honestly, guys, I, I think the Rockets are going to win game two. Um, I just The Jazz offense is in so much trouble without Ricky Rubio there to execute. And having to rely, like I said, on Burks or Exum just is not a good recipe for success. I hope Rubio can make it back, you know, before the, the 10 days it's kind of put out there. Um, if he doesn't, the series may be over before Rubio even gets back, uh, which is not an optimal thing to think about, um, but it is the reality that we're dealing with. So, you know, like I said, I think the Rockets will win uh, game two. But also with it, I do think the Jazz defense is going to be just fine. We're going to see them make the adjustments there. They're going to get better in the pick and roll. They'll have a better game plan for James Harden next time, even though he honestly is so hard to game plan against because he's either hitting threes in your face or he's getting to the rim and getting to the foul line. And, and we all know how dangerous he can be when the whistle's going his way. So not going to be easy to shut Harden down, but I think we'll see some really good adjustments there. The one really encouraging thing about game one was that in the second half, the Jazz played really spirited, I thought. 
Um, you know, they could have just given up and threw in the towel, but they came out and they, they made a game out of it. They pulled within 11 points or so after trailing significantly earlier in the game. So got to love the fight they showed. And like I said, now that they'll have some time to, to, you know, look at film and really evaluate what went wrong, I think they'll do a lot better in game two, but I still don't think they'll be able to beat the Rockets on the road uh, without Ricky Rubio. The big thing will, will really depend on how they perform at home. You know, the saying often goes that you're not in trouble until you lose a home game. I think that's absolutely the case in this series. You know, even if the Jazz go down uh, 2-0, if they can defend home court and come back and tie it up at 2-2, obviously we have ourselves a series once again. I think that it's very probable that we see something along those lines. I think the Jazz are capable of doing that. Uh, but then again, you know, the biggest thing is their offense has to get it going. Mitchell needs some help. Crowder had some good moments in game one, but the Jazz need the rest of their starters to step up. I thought Rudy Gobert had a poor offensive game. Obviously, Derek Favors struggled to get it going. Um, Ingles wasn't awful, um, but definitely not what we need him to be, especially with Rubio out. we got to have another guy that steps up and can be a 20-point scorer along with Donovan Mitchell. I really think Ingles' biggest downfall, and he, he struggled with this earlier in the season, and he needs to get you know get this corrected in the playoffs. He's got to be more willing to pull the trigger. If Joe Ingles had the trigger that Jay Crowder had, I would be completely fine with it because Ingles has set himself apart as a, as a deadly three-point shooter. Yes, I love how unselfish Ingles is, and I love that he always tries to make the right, right basketball play. I admire um, you know, that he's more worried about getting his teammates involved sometimes. But honestly, the Jazz need him. They need his scoring. They need his three-point shooting. They need his offense. He's got to be more willing to pull the trigger. Obviously, the turnovers are going to have to stop. Um, and the Jazz, they need to get more transition opportunities of their own while limiting those that the Rockets have. All those turnovers and missed shots just lead to the Rockets busting down the court and giving them easy baskets. That's not going to be a recipe for success to beat them. That's what makes this series so tough is that not only do the Jazz have to play good defense, but they have to be able to set up that good defense by converting on offense. If they have too many missed shots or too many turnovers, they're not going to have a good chance to get their defense ready. And if their defense isn't set and if they don't have a chance to actually challenge the Rockets on that end of the floor, the Rockets are just going to run away with it like they did in game one. So honestly, like I said, you know, in the first segment, I do think the Rockets are going to win this series in five. I think we'll see something kind of similar to the Timberwolves series where the Jazz have a spirited game at home. They win in front of their home court. Uh, but ultimately, I think the Rockets are going to take this one. A lot of that will depend on if, uh, you know, Ricky Rubio gets back. And if he does, how that shifts momentum. If he can, you know, surprise us and be back by game three. Uh, it doesn't sound like there's much of a chance of that happening. But let's just say it does. You know, and momentum shifts and the Jazz do tie it 2-2, two two, as I mentioned. Um, obviously, we'd see a six or seven game series there. But without knowing, you know, when Ricky Rubio is going to be back and without having him, I just don't see the Jazz being able to have the firepower or the offense um, to one, score enough points, and to two, be able to then execute well enough on defense to stop this Rockets team. I do think there's going to be, you know, better games in game one. Game one was kind of disappointing, minus the little push the Jazz made in the second half. I think the next few games will be a lot tighter as Utah settles down and gets more acquainted with their opponent. But at the end of the day, like I said, I think the Rockets are going to be too much. There's a reason they're the number one seed. They've been steady all year long. Unlike the Thunder, who have been erratic and inconsistent, the Rockets have been steady as a rock. I saw a stat on Twitter that in the 50 games that uh, James Harden, Chris Paul, and Clint Capella have played together, they're 46-4, and four, um, which is just mind-blowing. And all three of those guys are playing exceptionally well. Obviously, that's a phenomenal record for them to have, and it's going to be a tall task for the Jazz to overcome it. But that's what they're up against. And more than anything, I'm just excited to see what adjustments they make in games 2, 3, and 4 this week uh, to hopefully bounce back and challenge the Rockets. Uh, that's going to do it for today's show, you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm excited for the second round uh, to really be underway and for the fun games that we're definitely going to have ahead. Make sure you keep up with the show. Um, follow me at Jared Woodcox for my personal handle. Also follow the website at the J Notes as well as at 3P Threat Podcast. 
Also, on Tuesdays at 8 o'clock p.m. Mountain Time, you can hear the Three Point Threat Podcast on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. Be sure to be tuning in there. If there's anything you guys want to hear discussed on the show, reach out to me. Let me know. I want you guys to be involved and really give me your feedback and input on what you'd like to hear and what you'd like me to cover. With that all being said, guys, thanks again for listening. Until next time, let's go Jazz.